You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Welcome to the last of seven talks, seven key truths about Jesus. So far we've talked about his virgin birth, his sinless life, his substitutionary atoning death, his bodily resurrection, triumphant ascension and abiding intercession. And now we turn our attention to an event which has yet to take place in world history, the second coming of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And before I go any further, I warn all listeners that it's highly likely you will be disappointed with what I have to say. Not because anything that I say is going to be wrong, I trust, but simply because in the space of time allotted to this, you cannot possibly deal comprehensively with the subject of the second coming. There are so many different views and theories and so on. So I'm going to stick basically with what all Christians, I think, believe or should believe. And so we're going to begin by talking about the fact of his coming. How can we be sure that Jesus is coming back? Well, we can be sure about it because of the definite statements of the word of God. The apostles and leaders of the early church taught very clearly that Christ would return. James tells us that the Lord's coming is near. James 5 verse 8. Peter assures his readers that the day of the Lord will come. 2 Peter 3.10. Jude declares the Lord is coming. Jude 14. But it's Paul who gives us more detail. And he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Have you ever wondered what that's going to sound like? Wow, the word awesome is overused today, but that truly will be awesome. So in the light of such a glorious prospect, John, exiled on Patmos, and after all the revelation that had been given to him, cried at the end of Revelation, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the older I get, the more I feel (laughs) that I want that prayer to be answered. Come, Lord Jesus. Now I'm going to suggest three facts why the apostles were so sure that Jesus was coming. Firstly, they were conscious that they were directed by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as they wrote the scriptures. So in writing the scriptures which are telling us that Jesus was coming, the apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that. So that's the sort of base, basic reason uh, why they believed it, I suppose, and why we can believe it. But uh, other things too. Secondly, they remembered the promise of the angels at the ascension. Now, I think Acts 1, verse 11, and the surrounding verses are key to understanding quite a lot about the second coming. Um, We're going to come back to it in a moment, but just for the time being, this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. He will come in the same way you've seen him go. They were sure he would come 
because they'd seen him go. And then thirdly, they had his personal promise that he would do so. He said in John 14, verses 2 and 3, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And then in Matthew and Mark and Luke, we have this statement from Jesus. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Matthew 16, 27, Mark 8, 38, Luke 9, 26. So there's a lot in the New Testament and other verses too that assure us that Jesus is coming. His second coming is promised by the apostles, by the angels, and more importantly, by Jesus himself. If you have learned to trust Jesus in various areas of your life, you certainly need to trust him when he says he's coming back. Hallelujah. So what's it going to be like, the nature of his coming? Well, that's where we're going to go back to Acts 1 11 in a moment. I've already suggested there are considerable differences of opinion among Bible-believing Christians as to the precise nature of the second coming of Christ, more to do with timing than anything, and whether it's a one-stage coming or a two-stage coming and all various theories that there are about this. You've got Premillennial views, amillennial views, postmillennial views, and I heard somebody say panmillennial views as well, <laughs> meaning it's going to pan out all right in the end. <laughs> all right, I'm not going to discuss any of those today. That's why you may be disappointed. But certain facts about the Lord's return must be accepted, I believe, if we are to be consistent in our belief in the authority of Scripture. If you don't accept the authority of Scripture, you can believe anything you jolly well like because you've got nothing to guide you. In fact, if you don't accept the authority of Scripture, why believe in the second coming at all? But if you accept the authority of Scripture, certain things we have to accept. So back to Acts 1.11. The statement of the angels, which we read a moment ago, is sufficient evidence alone that the return of Christ will be personal, physical, and visible. And those three things, I think, are important for us to understand. He will return personally because the angels said it will be this same Jesus. This same Jesus, not a different Jesus, the same Jesus. The Jesus who ascended into heaven is the one who will descend from heaven. Or in Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. So it's clearly personal. And then secondly, it's clear that it's physical because the angel said he's going to come in the same way that you have seen him go. His resurrection body was there in their presence. He was talking to them. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until they'd been endued with power from on high. 
and they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they'd be witnesses to him in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And this is Jesus with his resurrection body speaking to him. And then what does it say? While he was saying these things, he was taken up from them. He ascended physically into heaven. So if he went with a body, he will come back with a body. It won't be a vision. He will come physically. And then, of course, he will return visibly. He will return in the same way as you have seen him go. They saw him go. What a thought. They were privileged to see him go into heaven. How marvellous to consider that we may very well be among those who are privileged to see him return. Awesome, again, that wonderful word. Jesus is coming. All right, so what's the nature of his coming? He's coming personally, he's coming physically, he's coming visibly. So what about the purpose of his coming? And I've got five purposes which I find in the New Testament for the return of the Lord Jesus. And the first one is that he's coming for his church. Now, if you know Jesus as your saviour, you are part of his church. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 tells us that when the Lord returns, the dead in Christ will arise first. In Christ, those who have died in Christ. That means those who have died as believers in Christ. When you, according to Ephesians 1, you were incorporated into Christ when you believed the gospel. All right? So when you believed the gospel, you became a Christian. You were in Christ. And if you die, you died in Christ. Okay, so the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we, obviously also who are in Christ, not referring to others, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, that's one of the hardest things to imagine, the idea that, Suddenly, if the Lord returned now, I, in this body, would go sailing up into heaven. But of course that's wrong. It wouldn't be I with this body that would be going up. Because the body has got to be changed. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, towards the end, you will discover that Paul says this corruptible pot body must put on incorruption and this mortal body must put on immortality. What does that mean? Our present body is not fit for life in the coming kingdom of God. We will need a new body, a body that is just like Jesus' resurrection body. We will need a new body for life in the kingdom of God. And because it's going to be that much different, I find it kind of humanly anyway easier to believe that I can ascend as Jesus ascended. We will be caught up. Hard to imagine with our present bodies, not so hard to imagine with 
a resurrection body like that of Jesus. We're going to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. To me, the big thing about this verse is not the wonder of being caught up. It's actually meeting the Lord and being with the Lord forever. So he's coming back for his church. Second purpose of his coming, he's coming to destroy death. Wow. And we were mentioning 1 Corinthians 15, and the key verses on this are verses 51 to 57. I'm not going to read them all, but Paul gives us another description of the events which will take place when the trumpet sounds. He says, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And it's then that death is swallowed up in victory. How wonderful. Verse 54. So he's coming for his church. He's coming for the destruction of death. Thirdly, he is coming to judge the world. Those who have rejected him will be judged. How do we know that? 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 7 to 9 tells us that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his powerful angels in blazing fire. He will punish those who do not know God and this is the key, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and the majesty of his power. Wow. So he's coming to judge the world. Those who have rejected him will be judged. Now, Christians will not be judged for their sins. We will not be judged for our sins. Why do I say that? Because our sins were judged at Calvary. The punishment for our sins was taken at Calvary. We cannot be judged or punished for those again. We have embraced Jesus' substitutionary atoning death, which we talked about a few podcasts ago. Our sins were judged at Calvary. However, it does seem that there's to be a judgment for Christians which is related to rewards for service. And sometimes people call that the beamer seat judgment. Um, And that's 1 Corinthians 3 verses 11 to 15. And you can read about that for yourself. So he's coming for his church. He's coming for the destruction of death. He's coming to judge the world. Fourthly, he is coming as king. He's coming to reign, we're told in Revelation 20, verse 4, and again in verse 6. And back to 1 Corinthians 15, this time in verse 25, Paul tells us that Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. He must reign. Why must he reign? Because of who he is. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. Why must he reign? Of logical necessity. And he must reign because God has said he will reign. Jesus must reign. And we read in Revelation eleven fifteen, The kingdoms of this world are to become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 11 
and verse 15. Wow. So he's coming for his church. He's coming for the destruction of death. He's coming to judge the world. He's coming as king. And finally, he's coming to make all things new. Oh, wow. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying, no more pain. They will have all passed away. Revelation 21 verses 4 and 5. 2 Peter 3 verse 13 tells us there will be new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. What a wonderful promise. What a blessed hope. Thank God Jesus is coming. And I'm glad about that. So the question is, are you ready? And uh, if you're not as excited as I am, maybe it means that you're not ready. Just a thought. So in the light of this wonderful divine revelation, the Bible does tell us that we must be prepared. Now then, I hope I don't upset anyone when I say this, though if I'm honest, I think I hope I do. <clears throat> it's not for us to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour when he will come again, Mark 13, 32. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, the day of the Lord will be as unexpected as a thief in the night. But let's go back to that Acts 1, 7 thing. The last thing Jesus said, almost the last thing he said before he ascended into heaven. Jesus had said to them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit in a few days' time. And they then said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, that's the first time I've mentioned Israel in this talk, and some of you might be disappointed about that because for you, Israel is all very much tied up with the second coming. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. There are different views on that. I am not trying to be controversial. But what I am saying is this. Jesus replied... Note this, not David Petz replied, Jesus replied to the disciples who were trying to work out about the kingdom and Israel. Jesus said, it's not for you to know. Wow. It's not for you to know. This is something the Father has put under his own authority. So why are so many of you trying to work it out? Why are so many of you looking at Israel and trying to work out all oh, the Lord's coming must be near? Sorry, I hope it doesn't cause offence. But Jesus says it's not for you to know. What Jesus says is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. Stop worrying about or thinking about or getting excited about, oh, what's going on in the world and trying to work it out. For centuries, Christians have been trying to do that and they've got it wrong and again and again and again. The Seventh-day Adventists got it wrong. The Jehovah's Witnesses got it wrong more than once. <laughs> I have to say to you, 
get on with the job of telling other people about Jesus. Keep filled with the Holy Spirit. Tell other people about Jesus. That's your job. It's not for you to know. What it is your job to do is to be a witness to him to the uttermost parts of the earth. Wow, I've got a little bit excited about that and I know some of you won't be agreeing with me. But fine, if you disagree, I love you anyway and I hope you still love me. And, uh, well, think about it. And if you, if you think about it, you will uh, eventually conclude that I've got it right, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Okay. We do not need to know the time of his coming, but we do need to be ready. We do need to be ready. And in Matthew 24, 42 to 51, Jesus warns us of the dangers of those who say, my master is staying away a long time. Now, he said that 2,000 years ago, nearly. Um, and of course Peter addresses that subject people who are saying where is the promise of his coming uh, you know uh, all these years have gone by and it wasn't that many years then that had gone by and, and Peter says just remember that a thousand years is as a day with the Lord and a day is as a thousand years so uh, yes don't start to be thinking uh, he's not coming he's taken a long time coming so he's not coming so Jesus warns us of that danger. And then in the next chapter, chapter 25, where he gives us the uh, parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids or virgins, as it is in the old King James. Um, and of course, you know the story. The uh, ten and five had oil in their lamps and the other five didn't. And uh, people have given all kinds of interpretations about the oil. Does it refer to the Holy Spirit? And does it mean that people who haven't received the baptism and the Holy Spirit will miss the second? And, uh, oh, we get into so many complications. The simple point that Jesus is making is be ready. That's what it's about. And you keep, you, 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 you keep watch, he says in verse 13. Now, how do you keep watch? Well, keeping watch is associated with prayer. Watch and pray, Jesus said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. So there's a, there's a sort of suggestion of prayer here. And maybe the oil does have something symbolic to do with the Holy Spirit. Who knows? Um, keep filled with the Spirit. Make sure you're living right. Because he who has this hope, the hope of the Lord's coming purifies himself, the scripture says. So keep watch, be ready, and make sure that you're faithfully using the talents which the Lord has entrusted to your care. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. How wonderful. Have you ever noticed that um, in one gospel you have the parable of the pounds? And you also have the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the pounds, the story is almost exactly the same, except that they're all given the same amount. Whereas in the parable of the talents, one is given five, another is given two, and another is given one. Which is kind of interesting. And I, I don't want to press uh, that too far, but it does seem to me that there are some things which God makes available to all Christians equally. We can all pray. We can all read God's word. We can all have fellowship together. 
Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's perhaps a sort of connection with something like the power of the pounds. I'm not overstressing that, just suggesting that's one way of understanding it. Power of the talents, however, well, there are some things where we are very, very different. Some people seem to be much more talented than others. Some people seem to be much more spiritually gifted than others, in every sense of the word, spiritually gifted. Um, And we are accountable to God for using whatever we have, whether it's the pounds that we all have in equal measure or whether it's the talents that we have in different measure, we're accountable to God. So if we do make sure that we are using the talents faithfully that God has given us, we can be sure that we too will hear the commendation of our Lord when he comes. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. And I won't remind you of the unthinkable consequences of the alternative. Remember the story? The man who buried his talent? I will say no more. So, be ready for his coming. He's coming for his church. He's coming for the destruction of death. He's coming to judge the world. He's coming as king. He's coming to make all things new, and we need to be ready. I can't think that any Bible-believing Christian could disagree with any of that. But when you get to timetables and uh, what's happening where and what's happening to Israel and, and all those other things, massive differences of opinion. And, well, we can disagree without being disagreeable and we can uh, that's right isn't it and we can learn from one another so seven key truths about Jesus he was born of a virgin he lived a sinless life he died a substitutionary atoning death he was raised bodily from the dead he ascended triumphantly into heaven he's at God's right hand making intercession for us and he's coming back again. God bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.